Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Finding My Voice. Today I've got someone with me. It's uh, the Game Master of the Vestmark campaign, Carl Victorine. Say hello. Hello. Yep. And um, uh, I brought him on to... Uh, to uh, to ask him about some of his game mastering techniques. Game mastering is that a verb? It is now, um, because as you know, if you've listened to this before, um, the uh, emotional impact on me from the Westmark campaign was quite big. Uh, I spoke about it in episode two, then again in ten, eleven, and nineteen. Uh, you can go back and listen to those if you want to. We are going to talk about some bullet points of the campaign before we get to the game mastering techniques. And if that takes too long, that will be the episode and we'll have another episode for the technique. Uh, does that sound okay, Carl? Yeah, I think it sounds fine. Wonderful. All right, great. Um, before I give you the word, you're going to be the host of this episode. Uh, I would like to post three questions uh, from, from uh, listeners, actually. Uh, I asked them, I might have baited the question a bit. I asked them if they had any questions for the Game Master, who is responsible for everything that has happened to poor little Alfred. So question one is, how could you? And question two is, how dare you? And question three is, what is your technique for reaching a maximum emotional impact in your role playing? All right, the word is yours. Yeah, I guess we can start with the two first questions then. Uh, how could I and how dare I? Well, poor, poor Alvild. Yeah. Just you wait, it gets better. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh -oh. I got some plans. Uh. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna cry so much. Okay, yeah. let's go. I'm not gonna cry now, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, the Westmark campaign. So how was it all, like, how did it all start? Because I didn't, I wasn't there from the beginning. I replaced a player. Yeah, uh, exactly. So we jumped in like uh, two sessions after we began. And uh, to start the whole campaign off, um, there were like, you know, uh, four young girls uh, living in a village in Westmark. And uh, um, this village, uh, yeah, it uh, turns out suddenly a lot of people were very sleepy. And uh, they had this uh, mystery trying to solve what uh, had happened. And suddenly they started to see those strange riders. I, I assume you remember those. Yes. I mean, oh, yeah. yes, I remember them. Yeah, really creepy guys uh, used the sound of uh, really tiny bells from the horses' harnesses uh, when they were riding. You could hear them um, uh, slowly coming up. And these riders couldn't actually seem to notice them at first, or didn't really pay them attention, uh, rather more. Um, but uh, when um, they found out, uh, the girls actually tried to contact one of them, and uh, it took some time for the rider to realize uh, that uh, they actually was talking to her. So, and afterwards, uh, yeah, what do you remember? Oh, sorry. No, I, I, I do, I, I have read what happened. Yeah, you gave yeah, me, like, the background, so I knew, yeah. because I know what we were playing. I remember um, uh, one of them 
helped us and we owe them a favor? Uh, yeah, they wanted to, exactly, they wanted to know how you could see them. Uh, and uh, because, uh, as we maybe, I think you told them before actually in this uh, blogger. Yeah, yeah, the runes. That, uh, yeah, the runes, yeah. They had uh, rune necklaces made by Eli, uh, the witch's daughter. And um, that was actually what protected them from this magic. So basically, they decided that... Uh, they were a little strange, and uh, but they got to bed, and suddenly in the middle of the night, they hear a scream. And they find uh, Eli's mother, the only other person in the village which hadn't been uh, uh, affected by the spell. And uh, she was basically sitting frozen towards the well in the middle of the village. Uh, like, we, we, we were really, really... really uh, desperate and afraid uh, expression on her face. Frozen solid. So they, the girls basically decided that uh, uh, they are not staying. Uh, they had some stuff happening, but they leave the village and get up to a small cottage. Uh, and this cottage is actually where the poor, poor Alvild had to spend her summers almost entirely alone uh, because she was tending to the uh, family's animals uh, in the summer we actually practiced uh, what was um, uh, done here in Sweden uh, a couple of hundred years ago uh, people used to take the animals uh, away from the village to graze in unused uh, lands so uh, but she was very lot of isolated and normally lived there alone but now they had a cottage as a refuge so they were there, and uh, yeah, we had this little incident, you know, the ears. Yeah, and the tail. And the tail, and it was a bit of a surprise, but uh, Elvild basically kept quiet about it, and uh, they, uh, the next morning we get to, after some adventures, get to Tyversborg, which is basically like the small castle uh, which is uh, maybe like a day's journey from uh, Vitrasjärn, the village uh, where they lived. Our home, yeah. And uh, there was some scary stuff happening there uh, on the way. We actually encountered one of the riders who tried to basically ride them down. And uh, yeah, they killed uh, the rider, which basically turned to snow. So it was a quite um, shocking experience for them. But finally, we'll get, uh, to speed this up, uh, we get to uh, Tyversborg and uh, we get um, some to stay there while the local lord, uh, Guttrich, he tries to assess the situation and like what's actually happened to his village. I mean, uh, he made the decision to collect all his troops from the surrounding villages, which was a little a little dangerous thing to do right then, because of um, mm. the king's bad health and the looming threat of civil war and all the really nervous neighbors who could uh, misinterpret all these things. So, But he gets all his troops and uh, finds out that the whole village is dead, basically. They all just uh, uh, fell asleep and uh, no one woke up.
Yeah. And uh, it was obvious some kind of magic. They had found some standing stones in the pattern around the village and so on. Uh, but they get to stay in Tiversborg. And this is basically where Katarina comes in as a player. Yeah, uh, I think um, a little bit further on because Venya had already left. Yeah, well, uh, it didn't really happen that much things in Tiversborg. But yeah, uh, Venya's player, she couldn't uh, participate uh, in the next session. So I did some solo session work there. And... Uh, uh, basically, she went to follow Guthrich's wife as uh, she was uh, journeying to Guthrich's uh, liege lord. Uh, not a king, but like a, some, uh, um, a count, basically. So uh, had to, uh, she had to explain to him and to the neighboring count uh, why Guthrich was uh, uh, collecting every soldier possible in his uh, in his uh, small fief and. Uh, acting very suspiciously and uh, Venya was there as a witness and we had some interesting stuff happening ever adventures uh, it was like a big tournament at the count's place and uh, there were some outlaws who were trying to cheat basically and there were some intrigues and they actually tried to shoot one of the knights and um actually shooting the knight while he's in the big tournament. So she and uh, her friend, was, which, yeah, this is interesting also on the way, they actually met um, the son of uh, Guthrich's uh, count, a knight called, um, and his uh, squire, Tuva. Uh, and Tuva is also a half-folk, you know, um, uh -huh. She also has uh, animal ears and tail, and uh, Venya got, became a friend with her. So Tuva and uh, Venya actually basically saved uh, the knights uh, who were going to be killed. Uh, and um, during this time, we also got to meet one of our main antagonists in the campaign, dear <laughs> Sir Wolf. Yes, boo, boo. Yeah. Venna's uh, first impression of him was basically she was spying on him when uh, his outlaws were telling them how they had actually been seen uh, by one of the knights. And um, Wolf uh, cautiously just remarked that, uh, oh, but if they recognize your faces, I don't really need you anymore. And uh, got up and uh, killed them slowly uh, and used uh, afterwards just wiped off his knife and uh, started peeling an apple which he ate basically so <laughs> yeah um, yeah and i wasn't here for that that was a solo session but yeah. i had this story told back uh to me from venya in character that was amazing because <laughs> yeah. she was scared when she said it was, yeah wow. uh, for your listeners out there you can basically if you've seen a game of thrones you can basically imagine Ramsey Bolton uh, is like a big inspiration for portrayal of a wolf. Uh, so yeah, he he basically doesn't really have an empathy and is very uh, focused on just making his career and becoming like the king in the long run, I guess. Uh, but anyhow, 
uh, after this is, this is where I this is where I joined, right? This is yeah. Um, so when when that comes back, yeah. Yeah, uh, I joined. Well, um, I joined like the did like one session before she came back. Yeah, uh, which was actually quite brilliant. I don't know if you planned it. Well, of course you couldn't have planned it because she was gone because the player was gone. But I really loved that we had a full session of mostly just day to day life and getting to know Tiva's body and playing there and. And you know, just doing our tasks. That was like, that was really nice. A really nice way to start it. Yeah, there there was like one month of in-game time, I think, uh, uh, while they were getting settled in the Tiverspori and uh, trying to just find some ways of coping with the new life. So we had some different duties. Uh, I know, remember Eskit, uh, the blacksmith daughter. She, of course started to work in the smithy. Uh, Alvhild, uh, she was training with the local foresters. Yeah, and so on. scouting, I believe. Scouting and uh, archery, a lot of it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and um, basically she was supposed to help with hunting. Oh, and I can also explain here just for the thing. Uh, Westmark is basically like... Uh, we don't have really as strict generals in this world, uh, in this kingdom, uh, as in the rest of medieval Europe. And it's basically like uh, a heritage from their Celtic uh, origins in this kingdom. But uh, this uh, gender equality is kind of challenged by the influence of the Catholic Church and all whole European country and uh, the culture and so on. So, but it was totally normal for uh, in this part of Westmark for Alvild to actually practice archery and be trying to become a hunter, which probably wouldn't have been the same in medieval Europe. Uh-huh. But anyhow, uh, Venya gets back and she tells them about this whole thing. And uh, before that, Alvild uh, had this incident when Eskit slipped and pulled yeah. off her. Uh, uh, the, the piece of clothing which was covering her hair. Yeah, I, I know I called it a bonnet. <laughs> yeah, bonnet, yeah. Apparently, apparently that's wrong. It's, uh, it, it's, I looked it up now. You looked it up for me. It's yeah. called a kerchief or a kerchief. Kerchief, kerchief. Like a handkerchief, but for the head. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Big square piece of clothing, uh, of, of fabric that you just um, uh, fold uh, like a triangle and tie over your head. So yeah, this is uh, this is part part of the big story I, I was talking about in episode two. Uh, this is where um, I have I had been hiding uh, my ears and my tail because I was afraid of, of you know um, of being rejected if they saw I wasn't fully human, uh, even though I knew they probably wouldn't. It was just a fear of rejection from from being an outcast because people here hated half folk. So and um, and when Eskid tripped and pulled the bonnet off, and Eli and Eskid saw my ears. This is when we had that like incredibly heartwarming scene, uh, where I came out to them and they accepted me. Uh, and uh, when 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 yeah, she arrived, we had this meeting. We talk about Venya uh, uh, meeting another half folk, uh, Tuva, uh, the squire to the night, and. Um, Venya was really impressed and so on. And so we had this really emotional scene 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, when 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 uh, when Eli and Eskid started questioning about uh, her about Tuva, just to get her to prove to me that she's okay with half folk, basically to 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 make me feel comfortable coming out to her as well and doing it on purpose this time. That was also a very adorable scene. Yeah, and uh, anyhow, um, after that scene, uh, it turns out that. Um, there was uh, uh, the neighboring count um, uh, was sending his, uh, one of his younger sons uh, and his squire to be an observer to give, uh, there in the castle uh, to see that Guthrie wasn't doing anything uh, uh, aggressive, basically, with his forces while they were investigating the village and so on. Uh, and I don't think Vanya was very happy when she found out that the son of the neighboring count was actually Sir Wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was living there, basically. And um, people were really suspicious. Also, one of the guests who arrived uh, shortly after that uh, is an old knight called Sir Guillaume and his uh, squire Chocan. And uh, these two have been mentioned before uh, uh-huh. on this podcast oh, but yeah. basically Sir Guillaume uh, he, he, is one, uh, he was a veteran uh, knight uh, an old friend of the king uh, they had served in the crusades and together and so on and uh, he was there with his young uh, uh, squire and they were quite secretive uh, because, uh, about um, their dealings because it turned out uh, the king had just died. Uh, and they had taken the king's sword and uh, brought it with them, trying to find a good heir. Because in uh, the laws of Westmark, you can't crown a new king unless you have the king's sword. It's been passed down from countless generations. And they basically got this because they thought that all the nobles are going to squabble and we can't have a tyrant as a king. So we should present this... Uh, uh, at the king's best, actually, to the proper noble who has a good chance of winning uh, while still being a decent king. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, of course, Wolf gets a little suspicious about this. Uh, Wolf doesn't know about the sword. Uh, doesn't know no, that not in the, the beginning, sword. no. Yeah. No, not not in the beginning, but he starts to become suspicious of uh, these guys, and uh, yeah, uh, you can please can you please help me here. I will. You were told to serve uh, this, uh, this this knight, this Guillaume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, and, we uh, were. You basically. We, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. <laughs> yeah, you basically. Um, the girls basically find the sword. Uh, I think it called I'm... out to Eskid that there yeah, was a mysterious yeah, kind of whisper yeah. in her mind. Yeah, basically she had like uh, some kind of a vision about the sword being forged and it was made for a king and it was her destiny to carry the sword and so on. So, yeah, and they tell uh, Guillaume about this and he is kind of like, oh, this is probably a sign from God. Mm-hmm. So... But suddenly, amidst all these happenings, uh, it turns out that uh, Wolf uh, has been conspiring with the Fey folk, uh, those who had attacked the uh, village before. And uh, 
Ja. Yeah. Uh, basically attack the whole castle. It's a small castle, just to be clear. So a lot of people dies. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember. Uh, I remember. We cannot forget to to mention. Uh, was it Gottfried? Yeah, I think so. The young son of uh, Gufrik. I cry. I had already cried several times in this campaign uh, when we came to this point. Uh, both times when when first of all when I came out to Elaine Escape and then when I came out to Venya. Uh, but this was the first time I cry, cried from pure terror and sorrow because um, his son. Um, how old was he again? He was younger than me, but yeah, the, can it be like he could have been like ten or eleven yeah. years old? I think something but, like that. Yeah, but but since like I was in the very low teens and everyone else was older than me, he was someone I could actually relate differently to. So I had actually kind of um, created a few bonds with him, and yeah. um, and when you killed him in front of my eyes, like it was, you even drew it out, like. It, the whole thing started with one single arrow. The first arrow that came over the walls hit him as I was talking to him. Yeah. That hit hard. And then and then basically they tried to save his life for a while. The physician tried to save his life for a while and eventually failed. That had such an impact. That was the first time I remember I couldn't actually see anything when I rolled dice because the tears had splattered my glasses. Yeah, and I think this was also like one of the first times we actually had been experiencing this kind of violence. I mean, we had encountered uh, uh, one of the riders of the Fae uh, before in the woods, but that wasn't really a real human, you know. It was a rider, but they basically hit him with an arrow or something like that, and the rider just turned to snow. Yeah, it's a magical creature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this was a lot more up uh, close and gritty and in your face. Basically talking to the boy and suddenly there's an arrow poking out from his throat. So, yeah. And it, I think it was a, quite a big shock. Yeah, and it, it really hit hard for me. And, um, yeah, uh, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you go on. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't hijack and, and start about waffling because we're already taking a lot of time, which is fine, by the way. I'm actually starting to think it would be really cool to have the whole campaign just detailed like this as just to look back at it. Yeah. I mean, we have been discussing some kind of trying to document it or something before, and we'll see what, what can happen maybe in the future. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, but anyhow, uh, trying to move on then. Uh, basically, Wolf and his uh, both his uh, outlaw friends and uh, some of the Fey folk uh, actually try. They uh, attack the whole castle, and um, the girls and uh, Sir Guillaume and his squire Shokan, they basically get saved by one of the Fey. Very seem because this seems to be some kind of uh, conflict in between the Fae, it turns out. One of them was actually uh, seemed to have had enough uh, of her superior and was um, basically helping them out through some unknown means. Uh, but suddenly they like, passed through a dark tunnel and suddenly we're out of the castle and uh, yeah, you know, j- just escape into the woods. And this is basically where the next chapter begins in the whole story, where they 
travel, uh, fleeing from the whole chaos in the castle. Oh, and, um, oh backtrack a yeah. second. Uh, I would like to fill something in. When Eskit discovered the sword and Guillaume was amazed by her discovering uh, of her vision, there was this whole thing of him wanting her to come along. And this is yeah. where the first time we really put our feet down. Like, no way. If she's going anywhere, we're going with her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was so uh, Yeah, so basically it's an old knight in like his 70s. Uh, young squire, who's from another country. I think it was Spain, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, basically uh, four quite inexperienced girls who have been really traumatized so it was quite an odd group trying to escape from one of the worst psychopaths in the whole kingdom basically um so they try their journey through the forest and this is like a this forest it has some bad reputation for containing a whole bunch of bandits and stuff um and other worse things probably what the bandits Uh, the camp yeah, the bandits camp. The you oh. remember the yes killed. Yeah, it's the the fey um, who helped them escape had obviously passed through the camp and uh, had some dealings with one of the remaining bandits. It was basically kind of like an ice statue which faced them, but uh, when they touched it, it had started to melt and it's basically blood, not uh, ice. Yeah, that that me- that messed Alvild up. I think Venya as well. <laughs> really messed. Oh. Yeah, I mean, um, with this kind of allies, who needs an enemy, basically? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, actually, I, I don't think think really we have resolved uh, that plot thread. Uh, I mean, we had some contact with the Fey in question, but yeah, she's well, still out there. We don't we- know what she wants to do. We kind of expect her to get in contact with us. At least Venya keeps saying that. And since I.S. Olivehill just consider her the smartest person alive, I just assume she's right. Um, that she is protecting us because we owe her a favor. So we are an investment. Yeah. If we and die the, without having repaid this favor, that was wasted. Yeah. And also, just to make this clear, uh, Faye in... Uh, this uh, campaign setting, they take promises and oaths very, very seriously. You don't lie to a fae. And, uh, yeah, it's a very dangerous thing to do. So, and especially since uh, this uh, fae person seemed to be quite a capable um, wizard also. So, yeah. It can be extremely dangerous. But anyhow, they went into the forest. And, uh, after journeying for a while, suddenly they're ambushed by bandits, possibly wolves, soldiers, uh, and um, yeah, I think this was actually Alvil's first real battle. I mean, the assault on the castle before they had basically just fled, yeah, right? Yeah, we just ran. Yeah, we just yeah, fled. I mean, yeah. I've fought like wolves before, like animals who threatened the herd and the, the rider we were chased by but yes this was not only the first actual battle this was the first oh uh, do you want to do you want to tell it yeah basically 
we were traveling like to, through this uh, path in the, in the forest and uh, suddenly we're beset by bandits and well the thing big big thing here is first of all Shokan the squire basically gets pushed off the trail and down uh, through a ravine into a river and gets gets swept away at the same time uh, Sir Guillaume the old knight I think he got hit by an arrow, right? He yeah, was injured, he was hit at by least. An yeah. Arrow. And yeah. I was uh, I was shooting arrows at banded legs to stop them coming to us, basically. Yeah. Uh, for a while, until one of them got too close, and I just panically shot in any, like just towards them, because I didn't have time to aim for the specific body part. Yeah, and uh, Alil basically killed their first person. Yeah, the, that arrow went. And this wasn't even like... Uh, I remember I had my own uh, target dice. Like, Can I try this one? Yeah, sure. And it was like rolled heart. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, that was harsh. It's a little spectacular, I think. But anyhow, they managed to escape from this ambush. Um, and they suddenly find refuge. All things we can find in this strange uh, wild forest is an old castle up on the cliff. So they get up there, and uh, I'm not going to go into all the details here, but you know what? It turns can, I make out... a su- can I make a suggestion for the castle? Yeah. Because we we're about half an hour in, and yeah. I really don't want to brush that over because I love the detail we're going yeah, into sorry. here. So I'm thinking mm. my suggestion here is. Uh, Pause this now and talk about your game mastering technique. And then for another episode, we continue from here on. Yeah, we'll do that. So, uh, yeah, uh, as you may have heard and noticed from the way he's, he, he explained it, there's something really messed up with this castle we found, quote-unquote, refuge in. Yeah, refuge in quotation marks. Well, all right, for the rest of this episode, let's uh, get to your game mastering technique. How do you lead your players into reaching the maximum emotional impact? Yeah, there are several things, uh, techniques. I've tried to collect my thoughts about this. And the first thing I would say, especially when you're starting a new campaign, is that you should try to get some time to know your players for the first thing. Uh, try to talk about them, what they like to... Uh, how they like to play, basically. Because uh, people play in different styles, and uh, I'm not going to like uh, this or other people's playing style and so on, but what I've experienced is that if you have the same kind of idea of what you're trying to do, it will be a lot more easier. Yeah, to yeah, a basic, that, a basic uh, session zero. Some people like the, some people don't like the emotional play. Some people yeah. just want to roll dice and shoot arrows. Um, so yeah, a basic session yeah. zero is always a good idea. Yeah, and also, for example, what we had uh, talked about, we we did this quite quick in, when it first started, but I explained it like. It's going to be quite uh, more drama than uh, uh, action, than action rolling dice, but uh, also it was like a combination. Uh, so basically, if you combine uh, in Sweden we call it rida romantik, which kind of like uh, romantic knightly tales, um, like Ivanhoe, Robin Hood, and stuff, uh-huh. uh, combined with uh, uh, 
basically like uh, oh, Celtic mythology, like fey folk and uh, different kind of uh, strange creatures and so on. Uh, and also traditional folk tales. And finally, we have this like youth adventure thing, like the famous five books, that kind of style. Uh-huh. A group of teenagers uh, going on an adventure and discovering uh, a lot about their world and so on. So that was kind of like the premise. And uh, when we had this, uh, uh, some things happened because, for example, uh, one of the players couldn't continue. So um, Katarina here got in uh, as a substitute, basically. Uh-huh. And uh, a permanent substitute. So, yeah, uh, so we talked about playing styles and so on, and it turns out uh, they fitted quite well together, <laughs> these players. <laughs> like Very like, well. Yes, like, remor- like, like impossibly well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is actually one of the coolest uh, gaming groups I've been in. Uh, for my whole career as a game master, I think. But anyhow, um, but it's it's really important. Also, not just for what kind of uh, story or what kind of like dramatic style you're going to use, but also things like personal boundaries. For example, if I'm going to play a really scary person like Sir Wolf, for example, I really need to know like, is there any things I shouldn't really? Yeah go into are there sensitive subjects uh, and so on so uh, which uh, i think if you're going to play especially if you're going to play like heavy emotional games you should talk this through yeah if anyone has a trauma or something they don't don't want to relive that trauma yeah but also things like what uh, makes people get emotional what are their kind of triggers yeah um so what do you like so try I, I try to like <coughs> keep that's that in mind po- and g- that's yeah. a good point actually if I can just detail that we we've been mm. talking about a session zero thing uh, finding their trauma triggers to avoid but you just mentioned something that few people actually think about what triggers do you actually want to hit the mm. the positive triggers yeah and. For my part, I think in this campaign also, a lot of these things came while we were actually playing or during like the after talk, after the session. Uh-huh. And so on. So we, I mean, I, I've gotten to know these players because let's face it, this campaign is actually, sorry, <coughs> this campaign was actually the first one, I think, we've, which I played like tabletop RPG with all these players. I had I had LARPed with some of them uh, before, but uh, I haven't actually role-played RPG with uh, them as a group. So, it was very uh, interesting, but I think after some time, I, I, I think I got the hang of it. This was At a, least a bit. This was... Based on a convention one-shot, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, three convention one-shots. Um, wow. So, it's also like the um, 
basically the structure of the campaign was that the first three chapters were a little more controlled. Like we talk, I'm going to talk a bit more, bit more about railroading and fish tanks, which are two different uh, perspectives as a GM. But uh, yeah, but we far exceeded those uh, conventions uh, uh, scenarios now. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, but anyhow, once you get agreed on the playstyle and expectations and all that, that's okay. You got, you you know what to do. Um, when I start playing, I have a technique, which is basically I try to find the sensitive spots uh, for each character, and this can be used in different ways. In Westmark, it's usually connected to things like fear or uh, triggers for uh, making people feel bad basically uh-huh. for example like uh, i know that uh, uh, alvild is terribly afraid of what will happen to her friend uh, venja if she's away by herself yeah i mean i'm, so, I'm afraid for all of them but yeah venja in particular venja in yeah. particular uh, and it's also it's almost become like a standing joke <laughs> uh, between the ser- uh, between the sessions, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my God, what's going to happen to Venya now? Ah, and I so just, on. Another thing, I love that that la- there's uh, almost Venya's player almost has this catchphrase now. Whenever you do something like uh, do something like this, yeah, and it's like it's like um, she curses you, but it's like the biggest compliment. <laughs> She's like, "Damn you, Carl!" <laughs> I <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> Yeah, but anyhow, it's it's important to say that these sensitive spots. I try to make like a note of them this uh, in my head. Like, okay, these are triggers I can push as a storyteller uh, to make characters. I ever feel uncom- uncomfortable often, but you can actually use these ones for uh, positive feelings too. I mean, for example, like if I want to have us create a sense of uh, glorious adventure and they're on this big epic quest to save the kingdom uh, and deliver the sword to the rightful heir to the throne and so on. I got a quite a good free trigger there in the sword. Um, I know this is going to make uh, cause some feelings uh-huh. if I push those buttons. Um, but anyhow, um, I don't know, uh, Katarina, if you have some other obvious uh, sensitive spots for Alvild? Uh, well, I think I have about a million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot for her. Like, she she was rejected as a child by her family and by yeah. the village. They were, all were in, in some sense. But then she's also a half-folk. Which yeah, has been that's a, a big one. That's a big journey. Um, because, first of all, it's the rejection by, by the culture. Then there's the whole, wait, why did this happen? Am I being punished by God? Because that's the consensus from the priests. And there's also the idea of loss of humanity and loss of a future. And yeah. that was a big thing because for a, it's only now recently in the campaign that she started seeing a hint of maybe a future is even possible. For, for a big chunk of this campaign... She has literally thought that her only chance of of experiencing somewhat of a life is by living by proxy with her friends and enjoy being with them for their lives because she's half folk and mm. she's not allowed to have one. Yeah. 
Exactly, and uh, I mean, obviously, I, I can't really go into all my plans. I'm going to get back to that later, but, you know, Katarina uh, is still playing in this campaign and got yeah. quite a bit of spoilers in my head. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> I'm trying to not, <laughs> trying to not uh, talk too much about those. Uh, but if you hang around in the podcast, you'll maybe hear some more about uh, those uh-huh. in the future. Anyhow, oh, um, there's, there's another big trigger as well. Um, yeah. I might actually save that for when we talk about the next chapter because it's a big thing that... Well, there, wow. Uh, one big thing that caused a trigger, ha- trigger happened in the next episode and then another one in the episode after that. So stay tuned for more Alvild triggers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah poor, poor Alvild. If you got a lot of triggers, you're... Yeah. It's not a nice spot. It's a good, it's a nice thing as a player, but not as a character. Yes. Oh, yes. Remember, we're talking about positive triggers, triggers that I, as a person, am okay with, but uh, yeah. it's a really big trauma for the character. And as you know, if you listen to this podcast before, I love role playing that makes me cry. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, it's like I'm a game master. I'm not like sadistic to my players, just to the characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least uh, that's what I tried to tell myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, and we got the sensitive spots. Try to make a list of this. Like you have, like um, like an ammo store to to pick out the correct ones you need for the specific scene or the effect you're trying to achieve, uh, and keep them in the back in your mind. And then I also try to. I think I got a couple of techniques called foreshadowing and drop the bombs. And basically, I try to... Foreshadowing, you know, it's a dramatic technique that you try to base future events, explain the background of them during the story, basically. Uh, And the, the characters can actually, like... Get maybe build some relationships to a, a certain character, which they will then will be very very distraught if, for example, that character maybe should happen to lose his head or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we for example we have this with uh, uh, the young child of Guthrie. For example, oh, yes. as we talked oh, about, gosh. yeah, oh. we had, we had played uh, like some really cute scenes, and uh, the character was, uh, I think, he, if I don't really don't remember it wrong, I think he was quite a, quite protective, as, but as like it like a child can be protective yeah. of a younger sibling, yeah. He was so sweet, yeah. And then and and then when they finally have this emotional connection, it's just off with his head, basically. Uh, or stick it full of arrows, yeah. but no, it, was, it uh, wasn't actually full of arrows. I think, I think it was worse the fact that it was just one arrow that came in yeah. from through his back. So the, I think that made it even worse the fact that it looked like maybe they can save him, and they yeah. could. You know, if he had been full of arrows, then it would have been a big trauma, scream and pass out, and then wake up. But this was drawn out. Yeah, and, and this is also like one of the big difference between the the, the campaign setting. I mean, this is more like a historical adventure with mythological uh, parts, rather than a high fantasy adventure with a healer in every village uh, which has magical powers. So basically, if you're, if you get a grave injury, 
you're in big trouble. Yeah. I mean, this is medieval Europe and medieval medicine. It's not going to help very much. Yeah, so like like what just happened with, with Sir Guillaume, with his arrow, yeah. we were terrified. And we didn't know what to do. Like, it's not a sense of just, here, have a potion or take a nap and long rest and you're fine. No, this is dangerous. Yeah, and even if it wasn't fatal immediately, we got things like infections and all the kind of stuff. And remember, he's like 70 years old. Yeah. And uh, in those times, that was quite a Quite a quite feat to get that old, yeah. Yeah. So, but basically, foreshadowing, and this, I can't really stress this enough, but if you want to have big emotional impact, you have to start, start preparing for those uh, occasions uh, in a good time uh, before they happen. So, I, I mean, I've, I've got some things uh, like... Uh, planned reveals or uh, ideas for scenes. I remember this is a role-playing campaign. I don't uh, plan like it's going to happen exactly like this, but this thing is probably going to get revealed at some point or this is uh, a scene which might came up if they meet this person and so on. Uh I try to prepare for them uh, very early and I try to make recurring revisits to these uh, foreshadowings. So for example, if we have something in the beginning of the campaign which actually is coming to, into play like 30 sessions later, the players might have forgotten about it if I haven't kept it up to date and mentioned it some time ago. And then when I suddenly make this big reveal, it will be, oh my god, what the... Yeah, yeah. The, it, yeah, you know, did this just mind, happen the yeah. way... Oh dear, we've missed all the signals. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Lisa, and we should have noticed this before, and so on. Po- um, that's a good. That's a good advice, even even uh, outside of the context of Vestmark, because yeah. um, the, the, how much time has passed in game? It's just a two or three months, isn't it? Yeah, it's we've been, been totally traumatizing. Yeah, we've been playing yeah. over the years, so like things that happen now that, that react to something that we played two years ago was for the girls a month ago. <laughs> so we do need to refresh things. Yeah. Uh, and it's also keep notes as a yeah. game master, seriously. Um, you you need them when revisiting things like names and just try to write down roughly what happened in each session. Because if it's long campaign, you're going to need to go back and check things. Oh yeah, and keep notes organized. I'm just a player, but I just recently yeah. started organizing my notes because I like I open Notepad and write down some notes and then save it in the documents folder. Then I save it next time in yeah. another folder. <laughs> I spent weeks finding all my notes. But but anyhow, uh, prepare in advance. Prepare big things long time in advance. I mean, actually, I have things prepped up for like the towards the end of the campaign which has been started like one of uh, the first or one of the first sessions uh, and um, which will be like huge oh crap reveals and so on uh, both positive and negative by the way but oh. uh, yeah no, I'm so uh, used don't to get your hopes up now. <laughs> it's still poor poor Alvild um, <laughs> of course it is <laughs> yeah but uh, anyhow and finally you drop the bomb. Try 
uh, you make this big surprise, this huge event. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's the simplest thing is uh, have a beloved NPC suddenly get killed. Uh, but it it also can be things like and some things like um, uh, sudden explanations to a mystery they f- the player characters thought they had solved already, uh-huh. and it, oh, turn- yeah. it turns out they were wrong. Or uh, it could also be like facing the consequences Uh-oh. of of your own actions. <gasps> My. Uh, the players have done some things. They made some choices uh, further on in the campaign. I will just never make the wrong choice really... ever. We'll see about that, <laughs> what you think afterwards. But uh, basically, they made some choices. Some of them were quite unexpected for me as a J-Master. <laughs> and just... some... Yeah, and... Uh, they're going to have to face the consequences of their actions. Yeah, and I was I mean, talking I, before. I don't, that, yeah. that, that was fully Alvin's fault, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, uh, just because something has happened in a previous game session, people made some decisions or take, took some actions and so on, it's easy for the players and the game was true to just forget and. Uh, uh, so, but if you have something which you think are going to affect the game further on, make a note of it. Uh, let the players like think, oh, it's fine, nothing's going to happen. And then they realize that, and it's a big, oh, crap, did we just cause this? Well, to be fair, the thing you just talk, spoke about, I think everyone involved knows it's going to be an oh, crap, but the cost was just too high. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's a thing about a certain decision made mm-hmm. in the uh, in the mountains. We'll talk about it a little bit later, yeah. I think. But anyhow, uh, also, don't be afraid to kill your darlings. If you have uh, like an NPC, non-player character, uh, which you like and players like, and uh, if you want this big reveals or big catastrophical deaths and so on don't be afraid to sacrifice those uh, I mean I take a lot of inspiration from Game of Thrones in that regard, uh, before that series, you, you usually knew when watching the Vision that oh the hero's going to survive, no problem and so on and you suddenly people start dying in droves uh-huh. even main characters and you have no idea who's going to survive and this thing puts a bit of uh, uncertainty into the game. You don't know who's going to make it. Even people who in a normal movie would be totally fine. Uh No way. There's no plot armor, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for certainly there is some, probably some kind of plot armor for the players. I mean, I'm not going to have one stray arrow just fall down from the sky and kill Alvil, the first thing which happens in the final battle. uh, Totally un prepared for but yeah things can uh, get uglier quite quick yeah, it's a good rule of thumb that if a player character is going to die it needs to be narratively satisfying yeah and the thing that the player should enjoy this yeah um i mean there are games so it has different kind of me- mechanics uh, for this uh, i mean I know uh, Warmer Fantasy Roleplayed, at least uh, second edition when I played it, had this concept of fate points, which basically let people survive 
but in a really bad way. So instead of like uh, batting your adversary, uh, fumbling on the die roll and uh, uh, dropping 10 stories below and uh, smashing your head in on the street, you landed in a cart full of manure and got robbed by the pickpockets in the city and was dumped in a big pile of excrement outside the city oh. walls naked basically like, uh, like those can the character survived yeah but it yeah. was still a harsh experience yeah um, death, sorry. <laughs> yeah I, I mean we, we had some quite near death experiences in the yeah. campaign too uh, if you remember an earlier episode of this uh, podcast I think Alvild uh, tells about uh, oh, yeah. uh, Catherine tells about when Alvild almost fro- uh, basically froze to death Uh, We made it into a scene, basically. Um, Oh yeah, that that wasn't almost dying. Like, or I don't actually know, like, what's happening under the hood here, but I am convinced, and so is Alvil, that she was actually technically dead. Yeah, and basically, that's that's another technique. Uh, If you if you're a GM, you're one person. You have one sense of imagination. If you have a table with four players use their imagination if they come up with a really cool concept uh, try try not to just say oh no I already decided how this went but think about hmm could this have been how it happened instead oh yeah like use take, their imagination yes take credit for their ideas and you don't even tell them and you're not even bad for doing it because like yeah. if if we have a, re- a theory and we're completely wrong but you go actually that's a pretty cool one i'll take that and, yeah. and we you have permission to do that it's even better like <laughs> yeah. take credit uh, you, you have the right to <laughs> exactly and uh, because often this uh, this can become quite detailed but one thing which is really cool here, uh, I think, as a GM, is letting the character, uh, letting the players think they got it all right for a while, and then you might suddenly decide that no, we got most of it right. But did they get everything correct? No, no, no. There are some huge differences, and uh, maybe not that big, but really important, small differences between their theory and what happened. So try to keep them a little on edge uh, I'd say just so you don't get too uh, to become too easily read as a GM yeah yeah so yeah we, we should always be a little unsure did we get this right or not I think uh, also this kind of um, not knowing exactly what's happening being a little unsure of I think it's also very important because for, of the next technique is the thing about keeping secrets. Um, this is a huge subject. I could probably talk for a half an hour about it, but I mean, there, is, there are some differences, especially from my background as a LARPer. Uh, in Sweden, sometimes people like to play uh, very open with uh, like knowing every character's background and just like playing for the drama and so on. But uh, some things I think is very good for this. As, I mean, knowing uh, some character traits can actually help create scenes which uh, fit those characters a lot better. But you shouldn't... Maybe consider that uh, having some big secrets can be quite nice reveals. Yeah. Um, and you have also this dramatic twists which are much easier to, to do yeah, as, long as, um, as long as the 
deep secrets with dramatic twists. There, there are some hint drops every now and then, so it doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah. Know? And also, like, uh, if you've seen the movie Shrek, I think, uh, they say, like, oh, they say things like uh, ogres are like onions, so they got layers. Stories got layers, too. Uh-huh. Uh, so... This is basically what's happened in Westmark. We have we have this extremely big, complicated story, uh, and um, in this campaign, and uh, the players have basically started to peel a, a, a tiny layer off at a time. And sometimes, so, uh, something they took for granted turns out to not have been quite as it happened, but it it will be quite similar and uh, this is probably going to go on for quite a bit in our campaign there are, there are some things they know they actually got right, yeah sure but there are some big things we got some mysteries also which are t- still trying to find out some of them we're searching for very actively <clears throat> like for example who's the bloody person who's going to get the sword finally yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> and also we have a few things mm. that are more more urgent than others. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right now in the story, one of the player characters is basically kidnapped by a wolf, and that's a huge problem because you don't want to be captured by a like violent psychopath. Uh, <laughs> Duh. Yeah, <laughs> nah, yeah, it's pleased itself. But um, yeah, but we have also some big mysteries like the characters don't really know who are the real big baddies yet. We start to get some hints. But, like, we don't really know them. We don't have any names. Or, oh, or some, they, yeah. They, yeah the, um, the creepy flame lady. For example, that's one of the baddies, uh, probably. But um, we got some, yeah, some nice, quite, uh, quite big things which are going to get more and more explained. And this also helps building up the story so you can plan, like, okay... For this session, we're, I'm going to probably do like this big reveal here. Uh, a few sessions later, it will turn out it, they weren't quite right. And they have already acted upon maybe the wrong information. Or uh, done something that... It, w- w- when their ideas, ideas clash with um, uh, the, uh, what's actually happening, can get some spectacular effects which weren't planned from either side. Um, but anyhow, also, mm-hmm. finally, one very big thing. If you're going to play emotionally, uh, intensively, uh, with your players' characters, make sure you vary the intensity of it a lot. Oh, yeah. uh, if you have a really emotional scene, as a game master, you have to read the group at the table and know like okay not not maybe like as, as in uh, or am I going to give them psychic uh, trauma in real life but more like okay we've been having some really intense stuff but people are seriously getting tired uh, as players <laughs> yeah, because we... playing emotionally is <laughs> I- intense uh, yeah. so you... we, we don't hold back do we <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this group is quite interesting because uh, I can make a big plan of a lot of things to happen in a session. It turns out that the player characters all just wanted like a whole session to just sit down, talk, like 
oh dear, what just happened? Yeah. How is this going to affect us and uh, what we're going to do? And that short uh, talk about uh, about what we're going to do next can take up like half session sitting in a uh, in a room in an abandoned farm somewhere uh, in the wilderness. But sometimes the players need that, yeah. and you have to read the read the table basically, see what. Okay, maybe this is trying getting a little uh, stagnant now. I think you should uh, throw something into spice things yeah. up a bit, but uh, also don't push too fast. Because those moments, those are really good bonding moments too. Yeah. Like every time it happens, like we have a trauma, then we take care of each other, and then that bond is stronger. And next time the others are in danger, it means even more. Because you have all that, uh, all those bonds behind, like th yeah. they're there now, you know. Yeah, and especially since, like this, basically one of the biggest themes of this campaign is friendship. You have to be able to develop those relationships, and if you have like uh, fey people or outlaws or uh, evil knights or whatever chasing them all the time, you. You just tire your players, and you don't get the same dramatic tension. Um, so, yeah, those are important, I think. Also, uh, I was going to... It's basically like a new chapter of the list, but... Um, I think, as a GM, uh, Game Master, you think, I think you should um, practice different uh, GM styles. Uh, and, the, for example, two of the main perspectives of how to Game Master... Uh, are called railroading and fish tanks. And railroading is basically like, uh, it's often used for short adventures, for conventions and stuff. Like, you're going to have to have this scene in the beginning, and then this is going to happen, which will make the characters do this. And they go to this place, and this happens, and they do this, and, and so on. Uh, it's very controlled. It's like you're sitting like a, in a track, in a, in a car, in an amusement park. And going from uh, scene to scene. Uh -huh. uh, uh, and this one, I mean, this has got a, a bit of a bad reputation among many role players because they feel controlled and uh, they don't have, uh, yeah, basically don't have much input, just experience like sitting in a movie theater, more like uh, playing in yourself. But personally, I think this one can be used especially if it's used for like shorter sections, uh, for playing prologues, for example, or uh -huh. setting the whole story up, it can be useful. So you make sure you get all the different uh, pieces of information available for the players and so on. Yeah, and I, uh, I would have to add, like, um, railroading is one of those things I, I could make like a hot take episode on, <laughs> because yeah. people hate railroading, and yeah, I get that they hate bad railroading, but it can be used as a tool uh, sometimes in life we are railroaded. Like sometimes we don't have control. Uh, as long as the railroading is, is handled well uh, yeah. and it feels natural and authentic, I don't have a problem with it. So people aren't against railroading in itself or shouldn't be, mm. just bad railroading. Yeah. Also, railroading is, as a game, is also a thing which can be quite a lot easier if you're new to game mastering. Uh, because it's not as much uh, information you have to keep in mind in your head. <clears throat> you don't have to uh, 
improvise quite as much with the story. You probably have some kind of structure you're going, you'll, you'll be following. Um, but the other philosophy is called like having a fish tank. So if you consider the whole campaign setting as a big aquarium, uh, you decide that you got this. Uh, these are the big fish, which are the big players in the political spectrum or whatever in the in drama, and they have these different motivations. Uh, so depending on what your player character does, their actions will affect these other um, antagonists or uh, allies or whatever. Um, but th these big players in the world, uh, but also. This is, can be quite hard because if you you have to think a lot of a GM. I, I usually have a, like a list uh, after each session. I think, okay, what happened? How much do these people get affected? Gets affected? Do any of them change their plans? Uh, what's a reasonable thing to happen? Can I make some cool dramatic stuff with this? Um, also, if you design a campaign setting, make sure this uh, big fish in, in the aquarium these uh, characters their goals collide <coughs> there shouldn't be like a, a solution that everyone gets what they want no, doesn't uh -huh. work that way it, it should be about creating chaos and conflict and uh -huh. basically the setting in Westmark, I mean the king has just died. He doesn't have a known heir. There are rumors about uh, a bastard somewhere, but we don't know. Um, that's basically the, the that rumor was what they're going to try to find. If is there an actual heir to the throne? We can take the sword and unite the kingdom, and got external threats trying to take advantage of this chaos. And who knows? Maybe they've even been. Um, part of causing it, who knows uh, but we've got all these factions and uh, different wills in in this uh, small country and it's going to be utterly chaotic in the sessions to come more chaos oh we just yeah, found something chaos. relatively chaos free, oh no <laughs> uh, we, we, I think we got some, right now the campaign is a little soft in that regard it, yeah, well, it won't stay like that well there are still a lot of things weighing upon them like there's a there's a skit situation there's a, a, the kidnapping of a death we don't know what happened to that and we have the whole thing in the, from the mountains we have to worry mm. about that's also a stressful situation yeah but, yeah you got, you got things but the thing but yeah. is in the campaign right now the characters have actually been basically transported out of their main country yeah. They're in a neighboring country right now, which has its own problems and is going to affect the big country. But who knows what will have happened when they return? Oh, it yeah. could be a totally different place. And they don't know. Oh, all right. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to make a series of, 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 of talking through the whole thing. I'm going to love having that, like just be able to listen back to the whole story again. Ah, oh, so cool. Yeah. Well, all right. That's... Um, that's a long episode, but it, it, it deserved to be long. And uh, thank you very much, Carl. And I will be having you back for more Westmark talk. Westmark, Westmark talk. <laughs> yes, thank you very much for letting me join. 
And if you have any questions for Carl about his technique or about the Vesmer campaign, feel free to ask. Uh, and also, since now you've had a little bit more lore drop about Alvhild, if you want to ask her a question or ask me to go into detail about any of the events we've so far glossed through, uh, feel free to drop me a line about that too. If you're listening on Spotify or, or another podcast app, you can go to queencaddis.com, which is my blog. You can comment there. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye-bye.